Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, JC, John Coleman. Dio, what is popping? Not episode, your energy. Episode 353. Not your energy. Episode 353, and I noticed, and I like this change, I was on the YouTube channel. The YouTubes. And I was commenting. And quite honestly, I was commenting because I totally flubbed. Only you caught it, though. I totally flubbed a part in a recent episode that was geared specifically for first-time homebuyers. And I was trying to say rule of thumb mm-hmm. in terms of finding your sales price. Yeah. Take three and a half, two and a half to three and a half times your annual mm-hmm. gross income. Okay. And that'll give you an approximate sales price range. Yeah. In some markets, that's very difficult. Yeah. My dumbass, uh-huh. my dumbass said, take your gross monthly income, mm-hmm. monthly, not yeah. annual, okay. times it by two and a half to three and a half. Let's go. And that'll give you your comfort monthly payment. Mm. Unfortunately, that's how people go bankrupt. That's how people <laughs> get into foreclosure. Think about that. If you made $10,000 a month, I just told you to spend twenty-five dollars to $35,000 on your mortgage payment. Let's go. Uh, duh. That's duh. a fun way to so live. So for anyone who caught that, my sincerest apologies. Yeah. For anyone who didn't catch that, what in the hell is wrong with you? They weren't listening. That just didn't make sense. That's... Get out a piece of paper and a pencil and follow along at home, boys hey, and if girls. if I saw on the TV or on the internet, it must be true. So if D.O. said it on a podcast, you damn know well it's facts. Yeah. So I had to totally redact it, which reminds me, uh, wifey and I started watching the last season of Maisel, which is a phenomenal, what what's a phenomenal TV show. It comes on Prime, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Oh, oh my God! I saw it's they the, the marvelous those, Mrs. Maisel. They played or, those ads incessantly, and I'm like, okay, who the it's, fuck watches it's this? It's really good, and Maisel's hot. Okay, what so I have a crush like a PG, on Maisel. Like PG or something? Is it Ratchet? No, it's R. It's R. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Her 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 comedy is is okay. back in her time mm-hmm. X rated, in our time like somewhere between PG thirteen and R. Okay. But nonetheless, I was watching it. One of the characters who is now writing for a newspaper, mm-hmm. had to do a redaction or an apology because he forgot the last name Channing had two ends. He wrote it with one end and mm-hmm. he was like freaking out. And I'm like, oh man, that's minor compared to me, supposedly a guru in mortgage, real estate, finance. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling people that a rule of thumb for comfort monthly payment mm-hmm. is two and a half to three and a half times their gross monthly income. Mm-hmm. No, that's wrong. Rule of thumb for your monthly income is 25%. Take your gross monthly income, divide it by four, whatever number that is, that's where your comfort monthly payment should be, mm. give or take, right? Give or take. Some markets, you have to push that up to divide it by three. Take your gross monthly income, divide it by three. That's a rule of thumb for your comfort monthly payment. If you're looking for your sales price, that's annual income times times two and a half to three and a half times. How much sleep did you lose over this? Did you watch it and just, how, how much time did you dedicate to this flow? Luckily. Luckily, oh due to God. many years of therapy and dozens of books read only on self-help. Only 12 hours. Only a 12 hours. Probably 12 minutes. And that's also because I'm T-minus nine weeks until my big race in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, shit. So my ass is training so much right now. Mm-hmm. I went to bed last night, and I think the sun was still out. And I live in the south. Like, if you live up in the oh, north. yeah, the sun be out like, to like 9 p.m. and shit. You should 11 sometimes, yeah. right? Like right now in Wyoming, but the sun's not going down, but it's still light out at 10. Let's go. No, it was legitimately sun out, 8.30, and I was gonzo. Just Good. crashed. So because Good. of that, I couldn't worry too much about my faux pas. Good. Well, yes, but I, you know what I am worried about? The banking. I am worried about what we're going to do. Yeah, you, you tell them. Yeah, uh, we're worried about recent banking um, shit happening and there how that's go. going to affect uh, homes, <clears throat> housing. There you go. Yes, we're going to talk about today on today's episode, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve coming out and talking about increasing their capital requirements to banks, right? That was Michael Barr. He's the vice chairman of the the Federal Reserve. And we're also going to talk about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to be discussing, although we've mentioned it once on a previous episode. We're going to dedicate some time to it. There's a potential to have a pretty sizable negative event due to a bunch of commercial real estate loans, loans on office buildings, loans on hotels, resetting in resetting at rates that are two, three, maybe even four times what they previously were. And like everything that has a ripple effect, 
You go back to 2008 and the subprime crisis and the financial meltdown, like it impacted all regardless if you had a mortgage, regardless if you owned a home, you still were impacted. So we're going to have to be cognizant of this. We should be aware of it. If, if we're aware of it, we can prepare for it. And we need to understand on a very surface level what this all means. So I'm going to spend the bulk of today's episode talking about just those two recent banking financial related events and surface level. Cause y'all remember at my core, I am just a loan officer, but the reason why this show is called the loan officer podcast is for many Americans, a really good loan officer is their one and only resource for all things, basically personal finance, all things, basically personal finance. It's not the same thing as having a financial advisor. It's not the same thing as having a chartered financial analyst in your back pocket. Like I do with my buddy, Steve Curley. It's not the same as having a father-in-law who's a CEO of a fortune 500 company, but many don't have that at their disposal. So they have a loan officer or they should have a loan officer. That's why we call this the loan officer podcast. Just in case people were wondering, mm -hmm. we also call it that because I do feel like a loan officer's duty is to be that source of all of information. The loan officer should be pointing their friends, their family, their co their ex coworkers, and their neighbors and their clients and their realtor referral partners towards the resources so that they can become a little bit more financially astute, especially with things that are economic or personal finance related. So I'm going to cover it, but you all need to understand where I'm coming from. It's that of someone who knows more than most, but not as much as some mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, cool. Um, Real quick, talked about me going to be in Augusta, Georgia for my Augustians. That's September 24th. I'm not there for a mortgage event. I'm literally there wearing a hot pink tri-kit. To race and piss on yourself. Competing <clears throat> in an Ironman 70.3. But we are going to be, you included. I can't believe this. Are going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. In Charlotte, North Carolina on August 24th. We already have 48 RSVPs for that event. And we are a month away. 48. We'll be at 200 probably in the next three weeks. I think we start maxing out. We're doing the venue. Is it an auditorium or something? Uh, at a brewery. Oh. And then, then we're going to have a happy hour afterwards. What? Yes. It's Rosegate Mortgage. Holy shit. Rosegate. <laughs> Rosegate has a couple sponsors. That's awesome. I know Rosegate's bringing down a, a national sales trainer from United Wholesale. So that dude's flying in from Michigan. We're flying up from Orlando. Wow. Rosegate's going to be the, the host sponsor okay. and we're going to do it at a brewery. Wow. Yeah. So check out tloponline.com right on the homepage. You can, if you're in the Charlotte area or you're willing to travel to Charlotte, you can click the event bright. You can get your RSVP in um, and stay tuned. Cause we'll be talking about this for the next probably five or six episodes yeah. as we lead into the event. Um, I got, I was reached out to, I'm trying to do some stuff with NAMBA, okay. the national association of minority mortgage bankers of America. They have their annual event. It just so happens to be in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. So if you remember, you and I went yeah, down I do. to that yeah, for yeah. the event last mm -hmm. year. Well, I had someone who met us at the event reached out to me. And then one of my buddies from the NBA, shout out to Ryan Black. Um, Ryan Black's an attorney in Texas. His law firm does a lot of closings, especially tex Texas closings. But Ryan Black reached out. He was like, hey, Dio, are you doing anything with NAMBA? I'm like, ah, maybe I would like to. Got to get a hold of Tony Thompson or someone over at his team. But hey, look, look up NAMBA. If you go to tloponline.com, honestly, <laughs> under like resources, yeah. industry in, uh, resources, we have a link to NAMBA. Mm -hmm. We have a link to NARREP, a link to MBA, a link to Fannie and Freddie guides, like literally link to Housing Wire. Like there's links yeah. and training videos and sales scripts and marketing ideas. Um, but NAMBA's on there. I would love for us to be able to truly participate. So via email, I've been introduced. And I've been discussing with them. If that happens, we'll put it up on the website yeah. and we'll start talking more about it. I think the event is mid-September. I okay. want to say like around the 14th, 15th, 16th. It's like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm. So uh, the NAMBA event's coming up. That'll be cool Damn. if we get to participate. But first and foremost, it's going to be a loan officer sales seminar. Think Mortgage Mastermind in Charlotte, sponsored by Rosegate. Can't wait to get up there. That's August 24th. Now let's get into the show. Yay. Yay. <clears throat> Where do you want to start, John? Do you want to start with capital um, requirements no, no, increasing? Yeah, 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 capital requirements increasing because I have no idea what that means, and that sounds boring as hell. 
Was this discussed on the well, Capitol so, floor or something? I mean, what is it? Yeah, no, this was not uh, the <laughs> Capitol floor. It's not? Although there's a lot of stuff going on right now as uh, Congress tries to wrap up their current session and break for the summer. Um, check this out. We know what happened with Silicon uh, Valley National yeah. Bank. We know what happened with Signature. This year we had three major bank failures. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it was because these banks went all in with certain investments and then they couldn't, they didn't have enough capital or liquidity to cover when those investments went wrong, right? When those investments dropped in value. Just so y'all know at home, please know when you open up a check in the savings account and you put your money in there, that money does get reinvested out elsewhere. That's how banks make money, right? They entice you to come to them by offering you check-in and saving services at a discount or for free. They even pay you some kind of an interest rate on that savings and, and checking account, maybe 1%. Because you're a client, maybe they offer you things like auto loans and things like credit cards that maybe you wouldn't have access to. But really what they're trying to do is take your $700 and John's $900 mm-hmm. and my $500 and a thousand other people, and then they wanna take that or $100,000, and then they want to go invest it in something, right? They can invest it in someone's auto loan, someone's home loan. Those are investments. They can purchase some securities. They can purchase insurance. So those banks failed because they went out and made their investments, and the investments went the opposite direction they were supposed to go. Then when they needed to put capital back into the investments to make their their bet whole, Mm -hmm. they didn't work out. So... That freaked the people over at the Federal Reserve out. Like, whoa, this is not good. Why didn't it get bailed out? They weren't big enough? Interesting. Well, I'm reading a book right now on that. Did I tell you that? No, it's yeah, the universe. It's, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, it'll, it'll make the centerpiece. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It will make the centerpiece um, for a recent episode once I finish it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the book is called On the Brink, and it is um, – Hank Paulson, who was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, it's his firsthand account of September of 2008, like day by day while the market was melting. Lehman Brothers is going out of Mm -hmm. business and Morgan Stanley's on the brink and what's going to happen to AIG and um, will Bank of America buy Merrill Lynch? And oh my gosh, if Morgan Stanley goes, does that mean Goldman goes? Mm -hmm. And then having to get all these CEOs in the room and they had to work seven days a week around the clock they had to get china involved early like crazy stuff was happening behind the scenes all to protect the world economy and none of us knew about it now if we were like bombing baghdad cnn would be there Mm -hmm. and fox news they'd be videotaping it Mm -hmm. this was an even bigger issue going on we had true warriors behind the scenes trying to save the world Mm -hmm. and no one knows about it unless you read a book like on the brink. Interesting. Yeah. So anyhow, it's Hank Paulson's uh, account. I may have been butchered the the title. It's something the brink. I think it's on the brink. But nonetheless, check it out. It's a great book. Um, so no, we're not going to bail them out. A couple of them were. Well, I think one was purchased by another bank. So that's mm. like the idea. Hey, you're doing really bad. Let us purchase. Let's let's mm. let's let's set up someone to acquire you so it's less disruptive. If I go back to 2008, that was literally. Bank of America bought Merrill. Bank of America underwrote the Merrill Lynch deal. And they're like, okay, Merrill, you got some toxic crap going on, but it's not so toxic that we're not willing to buy you. If we can negotiate a price that makes sense for you and say it makes sense for us, we'll do it. When Bank of America was force-fed Lehman Brothers, they kept on coming back and they're like, nope. They did another underwrite. Nope. They came back and said, hell no, the third time. And finally, Hank Paulson and crew, Ben Bernanke, um, Tim Gaitner, like the whole whole crew was like, all right, this ain't going to work. Lehman's going to fail. So recently, I think of the three banks of 2023, two failed. So they liquidate them. The Fed takes over. You make people whole and life moves on. So kind of got sidetracked. My apologies. What has happened recently is that because of that, some studies have been done in the Federal Reserve has come out just recently, and they feel like capital requirements of banks need to increase by 20%, period, end of story. What are capital requirements? What does that mean, money? It means how much money are you putting up against all of the other investments you're making? I I put it in layperson's terms. Okay, so John Coleman, 
you are a private individual. You're not a S core. You're not an LLC. You're John Coleman. I'm me. Yep. You should not have all of your money in EA sports stock. Shit. You're not diversified. Yeah. Right. You should have some money in a 401k and inside that 401k, you should be diversified. Mm -hmm. You should have at least six months of reserve. That's cash sitting on the sidelines. You should then have some money in the IRA. You own a home. So that's already going good for you. That's a, an asset that's appreciating that has value. And then if you have some play money and you want to go flip a house, you can afford to, because if you lose 40, 50 grand on that home flip, it's not impacting the rest of the stuff, mm -hmm. right? You have your reserve assets, you have your long-term retirement funds, you have your home, any organization, company, or bank, they should, should too be diversified. And they too should have money sitting on the sidelines to cover any intended, uh, any unintended losses. Mm -hmm. That's a capital requirement. So it would say, and I'm literally dumbing this down the way that I understand it, the way that a loan officer could describe this to a how uh, a school teaching client and their engineer spouse. When you increase the capital requirements, you're decreasing the amount of money that now a bank can lend. It's that simple. John, I used to require you have a billion dollars in reserve capital liquidity. I now need it to be 1.2 billion. That's an extra $200 million. That's now $200 million that you can't lend, whether it's a home loan, an auto loan, a business loan, uh, a loan to build a apartment complex, et cetera. You mm -hmm. just, it needs to sit cash for you. Okay, well, if I'm a bank and I now have $200 million less to lend, then I have to make some changes mm -hmm. to my business model. What we are gonna see in the mortgage side of things and the real estate side of things, as we increase these capital requirements, you're gonna see certain products just disappear. Or if they don't disappear, then you're going to see their availability become more scarce. So when you talk about something that's going to disappear, I'm going to give you an example. XYZ Bank, Community Bank, Credit Union used to offer a jumbo, right? That's a, a loan amount that's over the conforming loan size. So in today's day and age, anything $730,000 and above um, or over 730. I think the actual number is like 724 and change if I were to go off a of memory. I probably botched that and someone's going to have to correct me, but I stand corrected. I'm already letting you know, I can't remember four, 724, 726 and what's the three digits to come after it. Um, yeah, it's Monday. I'm not having it. So imagine if all of a sudden you're like, okay, what's a product that we're just not going to do? Well, we're not going to do a construction loan if it's not GSE eligible, if it's not something I can sell to Fannie and Freddie. Okay. Well, all of a sudden there are currently right now banks, credit unions who used to offer John and his wife, oh, you want to build a $1.2 million house? We got you covered, John. Yeah, put 200 grand down, we'll give you a million dollar loan all day long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now they're like, yeah, we don't offer that product anymore. Does that have like the same effect about what about local new programs like Hometown Heroes? Is that, is that something that could be affected? Luckily, with your down payment assistance loans, mm -hmm. no, because that typically is coming from state money. Mm -hmm. But what would be impacted? Non-QM loans. Oh, I used to offer this particular product mm -hmm whether it's a bank statement loan, whether it's a DSCR, whether it was a no doc. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden, if it was being offered through a bank or a credit union, that bank or credit union cannot afford, quote unquote, to lend it, they're gonna cut it. Yeah. How about this? Banks in general are warehouse lenders to independent mortgage banks, right? So if you're an independent mortgage bank, that means you're not owned by a bank or a credit union. You don't get your money from depositors. You get your money from going to another bank and borrowing it. You borrow it from a warehouse line. This is what I know about warehouse lines of credit. It's a very thin margin game. So banks lend hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars to other mortgage companies so that they can fund the loans before they sell the loan off in the secondary market. And they pick up a very small spread. Now, they pick up a small spread because all of that money is technically collateralized. You use the loan itself as collateral that says basically, hey, warehouse lender, if I don't pay you back, you can take this loan and now it's yours. This is your 30-year fixed mortgage on 123 Main Street owned by Betty and Doug Little and life moves on. But again, if you're going to increase my, my capital requirements based on the money that I'm investing into the market I'm lending out, I may just do with products. That's, that's, that's how I do away with 
not having to necessarily um, increase my capital. Maybe I decrease what I lend. And who's telling the banks to this? Who's the, the Federal Reserve. The, the Fed is doing yeah. it. And why is the Fed doing this? Like, what's the result? Are they looking to have some sort of positive? They're looking to prevent another signature bank, another SVB. Mm. They're, they're looking to prevent other bank collapses so, from happening. It sounds like, in, from where I hear, like trim the fat. If you guys have a bunch of bloated products that don't really sell, it, wouldn't this sound like a good thing or is it more concerning? Well, than no, because banks only make money when they lend money. Mm. Right? So, like consumers, I used to tell borrowers this all the time. Like, look, my underwriter does not get paid to deny your loan. In fact, if my underwriter denies too many loans, she or he may lose their job. Not because they're denying loans, because we're not closing enough loans to bring in enough revenue. Right. So, no, it behooves all of us to make sound investments uh but we also in order to be fiscally sound we have to have enough money sitting on the sidelines it makes no sense for me dustin owen the individual to be flipping homes and buying bitcoin or any other crypto if i don't already have six months reserve and no credit card debt like i first let me lay a good foundation let me have no credit card debt let me get six months reserve that's essentially what the federal reserve is telling banks like look right now y'all have been running too thin with, with with how much capital you have based on how much you have out in the market being invested. So we're going to see products like the jumbo CP loan go away. You're going to see restrictions put on jumbo lending in general. Three years ago, you may have been able to obtain a jumbo mortgage at a cheaper interest rate than a conventional 30-year fixed. Not no more. And there's going to be less people willing to do it because banks have to they have to trim their balance sheet. So mm. they're only going to want the creme de la creme. They're only going to want the best of the best. Mm. Meaning, John, I'm willing to do a loan for you, but not at 6%. I got to do it at six and a half. Mm. Like, if you want to do it at six and a half, I'd love to write you a loan, but I'm not I'm not doing it at six. What about those loan officers that are specialized in CP construction and, like, you know, that's their bread and butter? Sucks to be them. True yeah. story, facts. Mm. Yeah. This is why when I coach loan officers, I mentor LOs, when I help them launch their career, I don't buy into, well, the riches are in the niches. They are, but they aren't. Like even our buddy Ian McDonald, shout out to Ian up in Jacksonville. Shout out Ian. Like Ian does a boatload of jumbo CP. But if you took that product away from, from Ian, he is still making a lot of money. He's still helping a lot of families and he's still closing a lot of loans. He is not all, all, all in. Yeah, it's a big portion of his business. But, man, people lose big accounts all the time in all different industries. Give yourself 6 to 18 months and you, you rebuilt it and you're back where you were and typically better. Mm. So, yes, Jumbo CP is a product I could see go away from many banks. Jumbo lending could get more, more expensive. And um, the Jumbo offerings will be limited. Oh, we used to only do it at 10% down, now requiring 20. We used to do it at a 680 credit score, now we're gonna do it at a 720 credit score. We used to only require six months reserve, now we want 12 months reserves. The banks are gonna cherry pick the best of the best, and then they're gonna let the others pass on. Now, in some instances, there's gonna be some competitor who's there to clean up. Like, dog, feed me, right? They're gonna do the whole Ezekiel Elliott thing, <laughs> feed me. Yeah. Then there's going to be be other consumers and the realtors and builders that are displaced. And we're like, wait a minute, there was a product in the market for the past five years. Where'd it go? And poof, it evaporated. So we have that going on. I didn't even touch on Basel three, but Basel three is also something that's going to impact lending in general because Basel three is a regulation that it's, it's a, a, a national, it's a worldwide um, uh, regulation that the U S adopted 10 years ago and have been slowly implementing, but just know that that puts certain handcuffs and restrictions on what banks and lenders can do. And what I mean by can do, how much they can actually hold on their books for servicing. And there's a whole accounting that has to have happened. And you're gonna see some lenders unloading their servicing. You're gonna see lenders um, not buying servicing, which means some lenders will, will stop doing as many loans. And it's gonna be interesting to see what that does to the market and the landscape. Right. Ultimately, someone else will be purchasing that servicing, but will they be purchasing it at a premium? And if they're purchasing it at a premium, that means they're getting it at a, at a cheap price, which is then going to lower the servicing values for everyone else. Then there's going to be banks and lenders who have servicing on their books marked up at a certain price, let's say $100. But because there's a flood of inventory coming to the market, maybe now they have to mark down their value by 10 or 20%. Because of Basel III. I'm not going to talk about Basel III. I just wanted to mention it. Because mm -hmm. if we're on the same topic, these are three things that 
it shouldn't keep you up at night, but you should know what the hell it means on a surface level. Because what I've learned in life and in business, shit flows downhill. Period. End of story. I talk about that working for Vince's plumbing company when I was 15 years old digging ditches. Right? You start at the six inches at, at the foundation of the house. By the time you're done digging that ditch and you're at the street level, you're six feet. Why? Because everything from that toilet starts at the foundation, but it has to make it to the street in order to tie into the main sewer line. Shit flows downhill. Well, everything that's transpiring, yes, it may not impact you today, but it's gonna impact you. There's gonna be some kind of a ripple effect mm. through it. You might as well know about it now because when you're tuned in, hopefully you think the way that I think, opportunistic. All right, how does this benefit me? You know, how can I win from this? And all right, if this doesn't benefit me and it hurts me, let me start pivoting now let me start having those conversations with my referral partners now. Let me start going through my database of clients now to see who I need to get this messaging out to. Maybe they need to act sooner than later. Hey, man, or sir, I know you had this home purchase on your horizon for some time in the next nine months. It may behoove you to do it in the next 90 days. Well, why? Well, there's some things coming down. You can Google it. Don't take my word. You can Google, Google it. You can look up you know, 20% increase in, in capital requirements. You can look up Basel 3, B-A-S-E-L. You can watch then this episode. You can watch this. Yeah. <laughs> look at John Coleman. I'm, I'm turning the corner, man. I'm going to turn you into a self-promoter. No, please don't. Oh, it's going to This is happen. good, though. This is good, though. This you're is like, like that frog. I'm going to boil you no, in that pot of water, right, and, and you're not I'm even going to know about rib it. Ribbit, ribbit. You ain't selling me shit. No, this is, like, kind of interesting, though. Okay, so that's that. Again, just know. Just know this is transpiring. Right? The capital requirement increase will have an impact on consumers, therefore on the realtors that serve those consumers, on loan officers, lenders, and not just in the mortgage space. It'll impact anything that's banking related because ultimately these capital requirements are about the investments that banks make. Mortgages is just one of those investments as it compares to how much money they have in reserve. Talked a little bit about Basel III. Basel, ba Basel. Is that an acronym for something like the bankers of a, something? Or is that just like Oh my name? gosh, you asked me that? I used to know it. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Basel is a, um, again, fact check me on this, but this is going to be one of my lucky guesses. My cousin Ben calls me the world's best guesser, <laughs> which I basically said, Ben, that means you think I'm dumb. I'm just really good <laughs> with the context clues. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. But anyhow, you don't want to ever play trivia with Ben. Um, Basel is a city in Switzerland. Uh, right, like there's Geneva, Switzerland, mm -hmm. and there's Zurich, Switzerland, like Art Basel, like ba okay. and then there's Basel. I'm okay. almost positive because this is an international banking standard mm. that the U.S. adopted about 10 years ago. International banking standard stands for IBS? Possibly. I don't know. I'm just making sure. I have no, no idea at this point. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I digress. Yeah. So anyhow, the Basel III impacts specifically the mortgage industry uh, servicing rights how many servicing rights a, a bank has on their books. And it also impacts how much capital they have to put up mm. to cover those servicing rights. It's not a dollar for dollar thing, right? It could be, hey, you have $5 in servicing. I need 50 cents put up as collateral. Because all you're trying to do is mitigate against the risk, against something turning south. So you have the servicing right. The home shouldn't evaporate and it should be, the, the debt instrument should be worth something. It just not be, not, not be worth what you paid for it. So, you know, that, that's the Basel III accounting, but that will have a ripple down effect because banks will either start selling a bunch of servicing, banks will stop acquiring servicing, uh, banks will, will stop originating loans at this height that they were originating them because they have to be very careful of, of how they deliver those loans. Do they retain servicing? Do they sell servicing? So it's going to have an impact. That impact more than likely would be more to rate sheet than anything. Right. We may see the market rallying. Right. So the price of bonds is going up, meaning rates should be going down and loan officers in six or nine months will be scratching their heads like, wait a minute. Why did the market go up by 200 basis points, which should mean about a half a percent in interest rate to, to three quarters of an interest rate. But rates only moved by three eighths. Well, it could have an, an impact. This Basel three. Because maybe at the time of that market movement, you also had large financial institutions dumping a bunch of servicing into the market, at which point there's only so many buyers at a given day. And now it's being sold at a, at a, well, at a value. Yeah. The value would be, be sold for, le for, for less than, than what mm -hmm. it's worth because they just have to get it off their books. All right. Uh, okay. Good on that. Yeah. No, I do have one final question as we move on to the next subject.
you mentioned that if you're a loan officer, you know, some people are oppor- uh, opportunistic with this. No, all people should be. Uh, how? Okay. In all, life. Okay. Uh, can you give an example? If I'm an LL, like, how could you be opportunistic in this? Like, do you have, what could I do if I was an LO specifically to, like, you know? Well, ready? If, if I was an LO and depending on where I worked, maybe I didn't go after the jumbo market because maybe I mentally defeated myself. We talked about that in a recent episode, mm-hmm. self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. I was self-sabotaging myself because I knew there were three banks in my market that were going to wipe my rear end with their super low interest rates. Well, all of a sudden, their super low interest rates are now my same interest rates. I can compete on service. I can compete on professionalism. I can compete on my advisory consultative services. Like all of a sudden, what business I wasn't going after, I now can go after because now they have to play by my rules because they don't have necessarily different rules. Mm-hmm. Like, so that would be a way that I would, I would attack it. Nice. Um, if I was in the jumbo CP world, mm. my only choice besides reinvent myself is to go and try to get hired on by a bank that still holds that product. But here's my one issue with that. That works until that bank pulls the product. And then you go to another bank and it works until that bank pulls the product. Frogger. Yeah, and there's lenders out there that are like, oh my God, I would love to have a jumbo CP loan. Love to. My company would love to. We we have one through our bank, but our bank, like most banks, are like, ah, you know, depending on the day, depending on the, on the market, don't know if I want to do that loan today. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, maybe I do, maybe I don't. So we started saying, hey, well, we're national lender, we're bank backed. We're gonna go out into this and find an investor who wants to buy these loans from us. That market whew, disappeared overnight. Ain't nobody wants that loan. So that's why when I'm coaching, teaching loan officers, man, I, I don't like being all in on a certain niche. I don't care if it's I-10, DSCR, bank statement loan. You know what I'm all in on? Being an amazing financial mortgage advisor to my clients. I do Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, USDA, down payment assistance, amazing. And I go out and I lead generate for those loans because people are gonna work, wanna work with me my accessibility, my professionalism, my problem-solving skills, that's 90% of the loans that are being underwritten and funded today. There's another 2,500 loan programs that that end up being in that 10% range. And yes, I do need a good vanilla jumbo product. I do. Cool. That's all I need. That is all I need. And unfortunately, right now, because of capital uh, 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 capital requirement increases, you very well are going to see uh, folks that are not willing to take on those products. We talked about warehouse lines briefly, briefly. But think about this. If you work for an independent mortgage bank or you are one or you're competing against one, and all of a sudden, their warehouse lenders, who are banks, warehouse lenders are banks, their warehouse lender is like, hey, I'm not too fond of you funding those types of loans on our warehouse line. Or, hey, I'm fine with you because your warehouse bank dictates to you what types of loans you are allowed to fund on their line. And they dictate to you how much they're going to charge you and what percentage of the loan they'll actually give you because they don't give you a full 100%. If I'm a mortgage company owner and I'm funding a $300,000 loan, there's a good chance that I'm only going to receive 295,000 that there's a haircut of five, five grand on that loan, or it could be a, a haircut as much as 5%. So that's a $15,000 haircut. And my warehouse lender dictates what types of loans I'm allowed to fund. So if there is a, a race to quality and people only want to, they want to, um, have be less risky and, and they, they want to kind of pair their potential losses. How many products are we as independent mortgage bankers currently originating and funding that our warehouse lender has been cool with? That maybe after some of these regulatory changes, they're like, ah, we're not cool with that. Like, we're just not cool with that. So you're not going to fund that DSCR loan on our line or that bank statement loan on our line. Or if you do, I'm not offering you the 7% rate. You're paying 11%. Well, at 11%. I don't, it's, it's a short-term loan, right, right? right? And I'm, I'm throwing interest rates out there. Yeah. I have no idea. If I could ever get my girl, Ashley Lockerbie, <laughs> shout out to Ashley. Ashley lives in Atlanta. She works for North Point Bank. I begged her to come on. 
She is a badass when it comes to warehouse lending. She is a sales rep. And I asked her to come on. And she goes, Dustin, for as good as I am on the phone with you, she's like, I could never do a podcast with you. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm like, you're absolutely crazy. I go, it's just you and I sitting down. She goes, I would approach it as if it was me standing in front of a room of a thousand people. people And she goes, I would freak out. I'd be a nervous wreck. I'm like, well, that sucks for the audience because she would be awesome. And it's a topic that I can't really speak too much in detail on. So you know what I did? I pointed her to Amplify. I said, reach out to my buddy, Renee Rodriguez. There you go. Reach out to Amplify. I said, I know, I, I know how long you've been doing this. I know your title. I can only imagine you make good money. You can afford to go to <laughs> yeah, an Amplify. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because I said, if you want to learn how to become better presenting and storytelling and public speaking, that's where you go. That's the bee's knees. It's going to cost you some money. What I should have told her is, oh, my gosh, become a T-Lot Premium yeah, Plus member. And, and she would have got $1,000 travel voucher travel voucher from Renee. That's just for T-Lot Premium Plus members. I digress. So I digress exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, it's, it's interesting to know when, on the warehouse lines in mm-hmm. general, yes, there's a percentage. Your warehouse lender tells you how much of the loan they're going to fund. That's called the, the haircut. They tell you what your interest rate is. They tell you what type of loans you can do. Well, if I'm a lender... And there's a squeeze and my warehouse lender only lets me do certain products, then I may just discontinue a product because it'll be not profitable. Mm-hmm. And lenders are for-profit institutions. You wouldn't think so by looking at the past <laughs> four to six quarters of earnings. Yeah. But I promise you in totality, look at us in a, the past decade, we are for-profit institutions. There you go. So that's coming down the pike. It's happening right now, but we won't really feel it for some time. It's funny. We did episodes back during SBB and Signature. Mm-hmm. And I said to people, you're not going to feel this for at least six months. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here we are. And it's still happening. It's a slow, meticulous. It's yeah. like watching molasses come out of a tree by itself. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done that, by I the way? Think, I think that's called tree sap. Is that molasses? I thought molasses. No, I think if you go up like in the north, in the northeast. Maple syrup. Yeah, like Vermont. Have you done that before? I would love to. I've never been to Vermont. Hey, Vermont has loan officers. We'd love to host an event there. Yeah, but only during uh, uh, tap season. Maple tap season. season. Is that what you call it? Only during tap season. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, but I not, could go so many ways with the word uh, tap, but, we're but not we won't. Going to, tap dance, beer on tap. Yeah. Next up. Tap that membership to TLOP. There we go. There we go. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the last thing. This is going to be a long-ass episode. My apologies, y'all. It's educational, though. I'm kind of fired up. It's edutainment. Kind of all jacked up a Mountain Dew. So so the reason why we're going to talk about next is all those empty... I don't even know what the hell we're talking about. Go ahead. You do know. You were going right there, John. I know about like those empty malls and abandoned buildings. Yeah. So quick crash course on how commercial lending works and commercial real estate works. And by the way, we are excluding multifamily from this multifamily apartment complexes right anything that's five units or greater is called I'm, multifamily I'm super dumb what do you mean commercial like the people like the walmart building i'm talking specifically at like the six-story office building that we're in okay like the 82-story office buildings in chicago la and oh, new york oh okay i'm talking certain strip malls probably not warehouses and probably not apartment complexes okay okay but Commercial lending in general, which does encompass all of that. Commercial lending does encompass multifamily. It does encompass warehouses. It does encompass office buildings and strip malls, as well as your traditional mall. Mm -hmm. Like hotels, that's all commercial lending. But I'm not going to speak about warehouses. I'm not going to speak about multifamily because we don't think there's an issue there. But we feel very strongly, we in the industry, people that I look up to, people that I, I read and subscribe to, we feel that there is a mini crisis on its way with a bunch of commercial debt going bad. By going bad, what do I mean by that? People aren't going to pay their bills. And then the collateral that was used three years ago to secure this debt ain't worth what it was worth. But before I talk about that, you have to kind of understand how that world works. Because when you buy residential real estate, the valuation is done on a cost comparison analysis. Okay, we're buying a home in John's neighborhood. Cool. What did another house in John's neighborhood sell for? What did one more house in John's neighborhood sell for? What are, what are we? What's John asking for his home? And then let's look at a neighborhood adjacent to John's neighborhood and we come up with a cost analysis. When you look at commercial real estate, they look at that of like a cash flow analysis. 
right? What are the overall costs and what are the expenses? You come up with a cap rate and then through that valuation, it lets you know what the, what the building is worth. So essentially, if I can finance a building for cheap and my carrying costs and holding costs in that building are cheap and my rents are really high, the building is worth a lot of money. But what happens if the rents I collect are cut in half? And what if my borrowing cost jumps up two, three, maybe in four X? Oh, well, building's worth a lot less because A, I'm not receiving the revenue from rents because rents have been cut in half. And my expenses have just gone up, maybe double, because expenses aren't just the interest you pay on the loan, right? It's maintenance and it's insurance and yeah, it's taxes see, yeah, yeah. and it's the cleaning crew, the lights, the okay. utilities, et cetera. So if my interest rate went up three or four X, it doesn't mean that my payment went up three or four X, but maybe my payment doubled, right? Maybe my payment doubled and, and where, and so then what happens is kind of what we're getting at. What's well, really bad. It's really bad. And that's what we're experiencing right now. There are owners of buildings. Some of us call them landlords, by the way, but there are owners of buildings who went out and financed their buildings at a time when their vacancy was full flush prior to March of 2020 and interest rates were relatively cheap. Now we fast forward three plus years and what happens on a commercial loan, you don't get a 15, 20 or 30 year fixed note. You may get a 15 year loan or a 10 year loan, but your interest rate may be set annually or maybe every three years, meaning every three years it renews. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when you locked in at a rate at 3%, now your rate's gonna go to 9%. And at the same time, your building occupancy went from 95% down to 55%. I can't afford to hold this building. Yes, like think of yourself as an individual. John, what if your monthly expenses went up by $2,500 mm -hmm. and we cut your income by $2,000. Probably sleeping here at 2699 Lee Road. You would be sleeping here. That's exactly what would happen. Yeah. So we have this massive reset getting ready to come. It is going to be disastrous for landlords. I was with my cousin. My cousin is a badass in commercial real estate. And I just said, hey, Jimmy, what are some of your clients saying? He said, some of my clients are freaking the F out. Other clients feel like they have it under control. So everyone knows it's coming. It's it's like living in Florida and it's August 31st. Hot as shit. And you know there's a hurricane out in the in, in the Gulf, mm. right? In the about the Atlantic. Mm. They kind of come from both sides, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. way. We are a peninsula, but it's coming from the Atlantic and you can see it. Yeah, you're kind of freaked out. Some people think they're prepared for it. Some people think it's gonna miss them. Some people think, you know, the worst is going to happen. And the answer is probably D, all of the above. But more importantly, what is this going to mean for us? The answer is, I don't know, and it depends. But we need to be aware of it. And let me hypothesize for the next five minutes, then we'll wrap up the show. When we see a bunch, and a bunch is, is anything greater than what is normal to me. When I say a bunch, I'm saying that it used to be 1%, now it's 9%. It used to be 3%, now it's 6%. That's a bunch. That's a double, a triple, maybe even a 10X. A bunch of landlords not being able to pay back their lender, that means the lender has to foreclose on that property. Okay, that means that bank is gonna take a loss, that bank is gonna incur cost. Okay, well, that's bad when you multiply that times a thousand commercial properties, 10,000 commercial properties. And what it does is, is that's capital that the bank has invested. And when they, when they invested it, they said this investment is worth $10 million because it's a $10 million loan on a $15 million property. And why they think the property was, was worth $15 million because they ran a, a, a cost analysis. They looked at how much revenue is being brought in versus what are the expenses? Mm -hmm. Well, in the three years since they wrote that loan, the landlord's no longer bringing in $100,000 a month in revenue, they're bringing in $65,000 a month. Why? Because so many of their tenants didn't renew because they now all work from home post COVID. Or if they did renew, they only need 5,000 square feet and not 15,000 square feet because most of their workers are remote or there's some kind of a hybrid. And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, your interest rate's gonna reset, it's coming up for reset and it resets at current market. Well, what, is, what, what, what have we seen mortgage rates do over the past 18 months? What has the Federal Reserve been doing the past 
18 months. Jacking up rates. Jack, 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 jack. Why? Well, we're trying to slow down the economy. Unemployment is too low, supposedly. Inflation got out of control. Well, this may very well be a consequence of one of them. I mean, look, people not returning back to their office buildings. The Federal Reserve had nothing to do with that. Neither Trump or the Biden administration had anything to do with that, right? Like That's just uh, an unnecessary evil that came from COVID, in my opinion. Um, but when that starts happening, now banks are losing money. How does that bleed into some of their invest other investments? How does that bleed into their willingness and ability to then invest in other people, other companies? Well, if Bank XYZ is losing their rear end because of all the commercial write downs they're having to take, because they have a bunch of their commercial clients aren't paying them, and now they're having to litigate and take them into foreclosure or restructure their debt, they now might not be able to lend John Coleman money when he wants to go open a business or John Coleman wants to open up three more locations. They may have more restrictive underwriting requirements. So we, we need banks lending. It's kind of how our world goes around. Worst case, that landlord goes under, that landlord has to lay people off. And if it's 10,000 landlords that are all going under, they each have employees that all now need to seek new employment. And if no one is out there trying to re replace them, where do those employees go, right? And it's just it's a big trickle down. So now you have banks willing to lend less money. Banks are now losing money. Guess what happens to any company when they're losing money? They have to cut costs. So now do the banks have to lay off some of their staff? Maybe, maybe. So now that's adding more to the unemployment. And then when you add more people to unemployment, what happens when you don't have a job? You don't spend money. When you don't spend money, that means you can't buy airline tickets. You can't go out to eat. That means you can't um, rent hotels, can't buy new J's, mm -hmm. right? There's a trickle down effect that you would see this just drastic economic stunting that could very well transpire from what many people are like, oh, not my problem. Nah. I don't, I, I don't own a building. The hell? Yeah. I don't own a building. Not my problem. Well. You're right, it's not your problem. Until it is. But there's going to be some kind of a trickle-down effect. Now, let me end on a positive note. All the research I've done, all the gurus that I subscribe to, all the white papers I read, which is probably too many, but I do, they all point to this. Residential housing is expected to go through unscathed, to actually be the one shining spot while this transpires. Because as our economy slows and unemployment increases and inflation drops, so will the cost to borrow. And as the cost to borrow drops, it makes homeownership more affordable. And our issue right now is not that we have too much supply. Our issue is that we have no supply and plenty of demand. And what's really cool about demand is you can look at demand based on demographics. And demand based on demographics is looking at who typically buys their first home. People who are 31 to 33 years of age. Those people, the, the biggest spike in, in, in that age group doesn't happen for two or three more years. Those millennials who are currently 28, 29 still have a couple more years. Now it's not like a, a, a Washington Monument type of a spike. Obelisk. Is that what it's called, an mm -hmm. obelisk spike? No, it's more of a mountainous and that's a peak. But what, uh, what, it, what it tells me as someone who's in residential housing and residential lending is that A, 24, 25, and 26, cha-ching, pay daddy. Ought to be some really good years in this industry, all based on that, um, that data coming from just age of population. But it also is every reason why I'm not concerned about residential housing and lending being negatively impacted by what's gonna go on. It may actually make home ownership more affordable and more readily available because unfortunately there will be some people who are hurt, right? That's an unfortunate consequence. There will be some people who lose their job. Unemployment will go up and people will spend less money. So that means businesses won't be able to expand or businesses may have to, if they're not expanding, even do layoffs, which is gonna impact their lower rung associates. And that's where I give out the guidance. Like, look, you wanna survive a layoff, make yourself so indispensable that you're the last to be cut, right? You tell stories all the time that that's what you're most proud of. 
EA went through a bunch of rounds of cuts, but you took took them like six, seven rounds before they got to you. Save them emails. Yeah, but like that's where you want to be. Like one of our first episodes ever, Louis Val Saint. Shout being, out Louis. Be an entrepreneur. Yeah. You y'all see Louis, man. His boys are growing up. Really? He is always outside. You know how hot it was this weekend? Hot he was ball. still outside playing balls with, with his hell? kids. I know. Crazy yeah, whack job. Yeah. Or just <laughs> one dedicated father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So overall, we should be aware of all this. We should understand it. We should understand it enough to answer questions when we're at weddings or we're at uh, barbecues and people bring it up. Oh, hey, what about the commercial? That's going to wreck housing. Uh, not really. No, because housing needs more supply. How do you get more supply? Unfortunately, when someone gets laid off, they have to sell that investment property, right? When, when someone gets their pay cut, maybe they get rid of that second home. When someone loses their their job maybe they go ahead and downsize and when they downsize they sell that big ass house and they go buy something smaller right so these are all things that should benefit us people are sitting on records amounts of equity so even if you lost your job and you couldn't pay your bills there's a good chance you have 50 to 250 grand sitting in your house we just did an episode on equity the universe you can sell that 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 home and now you have 50 or 250 grand to figure out your next move so I don't see any of this truly negatively impacting as a whole residential housing and the mortgage industry. And it could even in a weird warped way benefit it. But as we talked about with the capital requirements early on in the episode, and even with Basel three, yeah, it could make lending a little bit more difficult, but maybe as that's transpiring rates are coming down. So it's a perfect balancing act. We'll have to see. But now that you know, and knowing is half, half the, the battle, battle yeah. Joe. hopefully you're a little bit more educated than you were. We said a couple of things that make you say, hmm, the goal of this show is always to make you go and fact check us and research it yourself and find specific articles. Our job is to introduce you to the ideas, speak about them at a very basic level, surface level, so that you feel enriched and more importantly, motivated to go out and seek more, talk to higher up subject, subject matter experts. If you like what we're doing, please continue to like us, share us, give us a five-star review. If you are a mortgage loan originator and you have not been to tloponline.com, what's wrong what with you? What the hell are you doing? It is literally branch manager in a box. We have sales scripts. We have marketing ideas. We have training videos. And if you're a premium member, you get coaching what? offered to you monthly. And if you're premium plus, you get that coaching plus you get... CE plus you get discounts like y'all check it out. It's the best kept secret in the industry. And my man, John Coleman is going to have the website rebooted yes. and upgraded mm -hmm. within the next week. Yes. It's going to be Thank more God. badass than get it already was. Thank God, John. Yes. I've wanted it off your effing plate for two months. <laughs> Anyhow, his name is John Coleman. My name is Dustin. And that's all the time we have for you today, but we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you.